You know, we, I love when his Holy Spirit's presence shows up. But what we've seen this morning just convinces me that the word that he gave me for this week is dead on. And so I'm going to be conscious of time. There is a new big clock back there with really big numbers, so I'm well aware of what time it is. Doesn't mean that's going to change anything, but I know. Because his presence is here. Lord really laid something on my heart this week that I've given the title Nearly Revived. And I think it's so important. I do want to make an announcement before I get into that this morning. You know, there's an announcement from our governor this week, and I'm excited for some freedoms and some things, but I do want to throw this out there. We want to be respectful of everybody. And if you're watching online, you're out there, if, if you come to church, I want us to be in an environment. If somebody shows up and they're wearing a mask because they're concerned that we give them their space, we respect them, that we don't say anything in, in any fashion, whether somebody's... Because I've been seeing stuff all week of this, this side calling the other side names because of their opinion and then back and forth and all this. And it's like, come on, people. Can't we just respect one another? And so I want this to be a place where whether you want to wear a mask or you don't, that we respect one another and we love one another and we just worship the Lord together. Amen? But nearly revived. In June of 1995, the space shuttle Discovery was scheduled to launch for the first rendezvous with the Mir space station. And the whole goal was they were going to begin construction of the International Space Station that would be constructed in 97. And so this was part of the, the uh, preparation. If you remember, there was a time that they would dock with the Mir Space Station to get settled and in place as they were working on building the International Space Station. And this was one of the first rockets that were going to be launched. The shuttle was going to go up and carry stuff, and they were going to dock with the Mir space station, and the rocket was in place, and, and the countdown was ready to commence. And if you've ever seen one of those, we got an opportunity um, last year before all this stuff hit. We got the opportunity to go. And, and view the NASA to the NASA Museum. And, and, you know, when you look at some of that stuff in life size, it's impressive. And so the, can you imagine the majesty of this, of this shuttle mounted to the rockets and the boosters and it was ready to leave this earth and go into orbit to break free from the gravitational pull of the earth and all that was there you could just imagine the sight and the majesty of it all i mean the rocket was in place they were ready to start the countdown and then mysteriously it just stopped And it stopped because there was an issue that was discovered as they were examining things because there's cameras all over the place. They discovered that there was somewhere between 12 and 16 holes in the insulation that surrounded the fuel tank. So they said, we can't launch like that. And so they investigated. It was like, what in the world? It was all good when we moved it out there. Where did these holes come from? 
Guess what they found out? A family of woodpeckers decided that the insulation was a great place to move into. So a whole blast off was stopped because of a family of woodpeckers. I mean, can you imagine? This almost blast off was halted because of these little holes and this giant machine with all the power and all the potential to just take off and just the, the sight and the rumbling and the, and the fire and all that takes place to get the force to leave this earth was held back all because of those little holes. Strange way, this story reminds me of revivals in history that failed to launch. I wonder how many times real revival, a real breakthrough, a real outpouring of God's presence and his spirit and his power was just about to take off, but a few little holes kept it grounded. See, because God only allows launch when the conditions are right. When the integrity is strong enough to contain the blast that's about to take place correctly. Because if it's not contained correctly, if it's not channeled in the right direction, you don't get upward lift, you get explosion. And so it's not that God does not desire Revival. It's not that God does not desire a move among his people. It's just that he knows that it can do more damage than good if it's not correctly housed and protected with the integrity of the containment that God meant. In other words, if his people are not aligned with him, there are holes that can keep revival from blasting off. So I've given this today's message the title, Nearly Revived, because I feel that real revival is what's needed in this nation. I mean, if things are to the point, it's not even something that we can just say, oh, that'd be nice. No, we need it. And I've seen some rumblings. I've seen some sounds of a potential launch. There's some things that are happening. I mean, just look at the way that worship and His Holy Spirit's presence has been in our services of late. I feel like that even as a church, we're right there, and there's some things beginning to rumble. And it's almost like we're ready to put the countdown up until takeoff. But as I begin to think about that this week, what, what are some things that could cause what we feel and what we're praying for to have to be aborted. What does that look like? What would that look like? I don't know about you. I feel like that there are times... And correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like there's been times in our services, I feel like there's been times as as we've gone things that you could almost feel, it's almost like we get right to the edge. And all it would take would be just a little spark and off we'd go. Yet it seems like there's something holding us back. As we illustrated, just a few holes can keep things on the launch pad. You know, what is sit-up residence that perhaps is holding things back? 
You know, if you look at Scripture, there's one story that I was settled on this week that there really is a story of a nation nearly being revived. And it really stood out to me, and it's the story of Joash. Joash became king in a miraculous way. He was, he was, he wasn't expected to be king. Matter of fact, uh, many times he's referred to as Joash the boy king. Because of what happened, his grandmother's son was the king. And when he died, his very own grandmother got this idea. Hey, if I can just knock out this person, this person, and this person, they'll have no choice but to put me on the throne. And so literally, in a bloody coup, she wiped out parts of her own family so she could be on the throne. But praise God that in the midst of it all, Joash and his nurse that cared for him were whisked away into safety and literally hid out in the temple for six years. When Joash was seven years old, Jehoiada the priest through a very clever scheme, you have, I don't have time to get into the whole story, but you need to read it. But through a clever scheme, all of a sudden he pulled out and revealed that there was a surviving heir to the throne. And the queen was ousted from power. Her reign was destroyed. She paid the price. And this boy was set up as king. And for a season, man, things shifted. Under Jehoiada, the priest's guidance, Joash began to change things. And there seemed like there was about to be revival. All of a sudden, the temple was cleaned up. All of a sudden, worship, rightful worship was restored. The prophets of Baal were done away with. The temple of Baal was done away with. Things were set right, and it was a great time. It looked like revival was coming, and the countdown for blastoff was underway. But something was wrong. You might say there were some woodpeckers in the fuel tank of revival. The question I want us to look at this morning is Why? Why did such a perfect opportunity of revival slip away? What kept them from pouring out? What kept God from pouring out his blessing? And why did all of a sudden this, this whole thing, this fail to lift off, fail to get started? See, the reason for these questions this morning, I believe, are important because I believe we're in a time in many ways similar to what was going on in Joash's day. Society has experienced a moral decline on, on a daily basis. I mean, every time you look at a headline, there is some other step that is being taken further than I don't know you that I ever thought I would see in my lifetime. The moral depravity is at new heights and it's celebrated. But there are positive signs. God's people are beginning to open their eyes. 
There are people that are hungry. There are things that have happened. Even in our own congregation, there's some people that have started gathering at 8 o'clock every Sunday morning before the worship team gets there. And we're praying over the sanctuary and we're praying for a move of God. And you don't have to have a special invitation to join us. It would be perfectly okay to come and pray with us from 8 to 8.30. Then you can go get breakfast and you can come back by 10 o'clock. Because I don't know about you, I'm hungry for a move of God. And we see these things. So, yes, many are obsessed with, with the political climate of what's going on today. And I see things happening on that. But can I say this? Yes, I can. I've got the microphone. The only way to change a a nation through political means is if you have the majority. Here's the best part. This is what I want you to hold on to. If you don't get anything else, write this down. You never have to be the majority for revival to start. It doesn't take... What scripture say? One can put a thousand to flight. See, there is something about when we gather together, there is something about when God's people become hungry and they get their hearts right. We don't have to be the majority. We just have to be the committed ones. You simply seek God with all your heart, joining with others, and that potential begins to multiply. Revival after revival has been started when just a group of people got tired of what was going on, and they begin to get together and pray and humble themselves and seek God, and then it just expanded and exploded from there. But often, the launch of revival is aborted due to a lack of structural and moral integrity. So we may see, this morning I want us to discover some traps to avoid. As I begin to look at this story, there's some things to me that stood out in this story. Some things that really to me was the reason that the launch was aborted. Number one that I identified, I'm calling follow the leader faith. Yes, we should follow good leadership. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. But the goal should be that the faith of the person you're following becomes your faith. And if something happens to them, you're still, it's real enough to you that you still carry on. There's three excerpts from this story I want us to read. And this story is found, it's interesting, parts of it are found in 2 Kings and parts of it are found in 2 Chronicles. So you kind of have to piece it together a little bit because different ones tell different aspects of the story. But I'm going to read three passages of Scripture. 2 Kings 12.2. Jehoash, which by the way, is another way of saying Joash. Depending on your translation, some of them say Joash, some say Jehoash. Jehoash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days in which Jehoiada was the priest. The priest instructed him. In other words, as long as he had that leader walking side by side with him and holding his hand, he did some good things. Second Chronicles 23.16 puts it this way, Then Jehoiada made a covenant between himself, the people, and the king that they should be the Lord's people. 
<clears throat> what does that tell us right there? Who was really driving this? The priest. But during this time, incredible progress was made. The stage was set for blast off. Then there were some holes that showed up. Second Chronicles 24, 17 and 18 says this. And this is where the, the wheels begin to come off the wagon. <clears throat> now after the death of Jehoiada, the leaders of Judah came and bowed down to the king. And the king listened to them. There's your problem right there. The king listened to them. Therefore, they left the house of the Lord, the God of their fathers, and served wooden images and idols, and wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem because of their trespasses. Basically, what we have here, as long as Jehoiada was there and leading him, he was making right steps. He was doing good things. I mean, real progress was made. <clears throat> but it seems there wasn't enough political or there wasn't enough personal conviction in his own life that when his mentor was gone that he carried on the things that he had been taught. Joash needed to dedicate himself completely to the Lord and apparently he didn't. So as soon as this leader was gone, things began to go back and these people come along and very quickly he was convinced to back up some of the things that he had set in place. Idol worship was reinstated. See, you might say Joash was kind of a follower. And it's okay to be a follower if you've got real convictions and you're following somebody that's headed in the right direction, but when that person is gone and you don't really, the convictions aren't yours, it's not your faith, but it was their faith, And you're just, then you just have a follow the leader faith. Somewhere it has to be yours. You know, we, we often think of historical revivals in terms of their leaders. We think of people like Jonathan Edwards that was in the 1700s, Charles Finney in the 1800s, D.L. Moody in the late 1800s, William J. Seymour during the early 1900s, which his roots can be traced back to, to what, where our movement came from, was that revival on Azusa Street. But guess what? Not a single New Testament revival has ever come strictly because of a leader. Now, a leader helps get it started. A leader inspires people. A leader can point things out and say, this is where you're off the mark. This is where you need to get things back in place. But the leader doesn't bring it. What brings it is when God's people get together and they humble themselves and they begin to seek his face together. And as he speaks to them, they, they clean up their ways and they do the things. Then all of a sudden they begin to seek God and they begin to cry out for a move of his spirit. That's when we see revival begin to take place. It was the same thing on Azusa Street. The great thing, you read the stories, William J. Seymour wasn't this most dynamic person. Matter of fact, he's described many times as finding a place somewhere where they were meeting just to, 
and with alone time, just covering himself and praying. But as more people begin to show up, as more people begin to pray, as more people, then guess what? All of a sudden, it began to grow and things begin to happen and God began to move. People were healed, lives were transformed. It takes a group of people that are hungry enough to repent of their sins and to cry out to the Lord, to truly get on their face and say, Lord God, I'm so desperate for a move of your spirit that I will humble myself. I will, I will clear my schedule. I will do what I need to do because I'm desperate for a move of God. See, I believe revival never has and never will where people only seek a ride-along revival. Let's face it, sometimes we love the show. We love seeing... God touched somebody else. We love seeing <clears throat> somebody else get healed. We love these things. Sometimes there are people that just want to sit on the sidelines because they like their chains a little too much. See, I believe, like I said, we don't have to be the majority for revival to start. We just simply need to seek his face. We need to open our hearts. The second roadblock I see in this story is letting strongholds stand. See, sometimes there are things that just need to be torn down. And the great thing about revival is the more, the, the, the greater the cleansing, the greater the revival. You don't get one without the other. And I'll get more into that a little bit later, but I want to read 2 Kings 12, 3, where we see this is kind of the first sign that the wheels are beginning to come off of this thing. It says this, but the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. See, the temple was restored. Baal's temple was destroyed. The prophets of Baal was done away with, but it stopped there. They didn't tear down the high places. What were the high places? The high places were places where idol worship and sacrifices and things were done. They were on the hills and the mountainsides. They were scattered out across the nation. Those places where people went to do things that they, in many ways, didn't want seen by the light of day in the people that were in the cities. The Asherah poles were really common, and that is a pagan uh, fertility god that was worshipped. So you can imagine the junk that went on there. Altars of sacrifice, much like what was at the temple, except these were for animal sacrifices and in some cases, human sacrifices. 
those kind of abominations were left out there and they were not taken down. They weren't destroyed. And the priests that operated these things were many times very powerful politically. And it seemed that when Joash reached an age, even though Jehoiada was gone, when he really could have finished this thing, he didn't. Idol worship, once again, became more prevalent than genuine worship. But you look and you read the stories in, in, in Kings and Chronicles of, of again and again in different leaders. It's, it's very clear that many of the leaders, many of the kings of that time, they, they would, some of them, there were some really bad ones, and there were some eh ones, and there were some pretty decent ones. But what did you see again and again? Again and again, you would see different kings that would follow the Lord to a point but they kept a false god or an idol kind of on the side as a backup plan just in case something didn't work out. Or most likely, they didn't like what God said. We see it again and again. This thing of of not quite destroying the high places. To destroy the high places would be giving up your insurance plan. Now you may be thinking here, you know what? What does that have to do with us? I haven't got any high places. I don't have any idols set up in my house. But what do you have hidden in the high places of your life that you don't want nobody to know about? The places where Jesus is not given the crown. I give Jesus this, and I give him this, but it'd be like if you let him in your house. Oh, don't go in that room. You have free reign, except for over here and over here. Wrong habits, hidden sins, inappropriate relationships. Temptations that we indulge. Oh, we're so good at. <laughs> I, I was guilty of this as a teenager. I can't remember how many times I went to my youth, youth pastor. It was like, okay, how far can I go with this before it's sin? <laughs> but we're pretty good at still playing that game when we're older, right? I want to get my toes right to the edge. How, how far can I go before gravity takes over and tilts me the rest of the way? And we hold on to those things. We indulge in those things. What about the plans you've made for your lives that you don't want the Lord messing up? The insurance plan, just in case God doesn't come through. Are you ready to surrender every corner of your life to God's sovereignty? Or are there things you're holding on to? Are there some high places that as I've been talking that have come to your mind? Those are the things that need to be tore down. I've got to move on. 
Look at it like this, kind of like the kid that was coming to school every day. I mean, just filthy from head to toe. I mean, not just on occasion, but all the time. This kid was showing up for school dirty. So finally, a group of teachers get together, and they have a meeting. And they said, you know, what are we going to do? This, this poor child's coming to school every single day, just as dirty as they can be. And one of the teachers finally said, well, that mom obviously doesn't love her kid very much. But I think another teacher hit it on the head. He said, no, I think she does. She just doesn't hate dirt enough. We may say we love the Lord, but until we hate dirt enough to tear down the high places, then revival will just sit there on the launch pad looking really impressive, but never igniting. The next roadblock we see, surrendering the sacred. I see people often who profess to be believers, but they will give up the sacred for safety in a moment's notice. For safety, for convenience, or even financial gain. Let's look at this, 2 Kings 12, 17 and 18. Hazael, the king of Syria, went up and fought against Gath and took it. Then Hazael set his face to go up to Jerusalem. And Jehoash, the king of Judah, took all the sacred things that his fathers, Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, Ahaziah, kings of Judah, had dedicated, and his own sacred things, and all the gold found in the treasuries of the house of the Lord and in the king's house, and sent them to Hazael, king of Syria. Then he went away from Jerusalem." When faced with a threat, Joash didn't turn to the Lord. He didn't call a nationwide fast and prayer. He was so concerned about comfort and safety that he literally gave away all the sacred things in the temple just for a little piece of peace and safety. I mean, can you imagine the sacred things gutting the temple just to appease the enemy, his enemy, the enemy of the Lord. And we look at that and we say, how could that be? But when push comes to shove in our lives, What gives way? Are we so concerned with our situation? Are we so concerned with our safety and our peace and our comfort that at times we too are tempted to give away the sacred just to get by? When the budget gets tight, what gets cut? Your tithe? How easy is it to miss Sunday morning? How often does that get pushed aside? I'm not saying you got to be here every single time. It's okay. Derek and Meredith are down on Galveston this week. We deserve vacations. But I'm talking about when every little thing keeps you from being in the house of the Lord, there's a problem. 
When your daily schedule gets tight, does the TV wait or does the Lord? I know, I'm meddling too much. Is convenience more holy to you than conviction? You know, has feeling safe caused you to give up the sacred? The world around us tells us that the sacred has got to go these days. And we're, we are threatened that we must give up certain things. There are standards where we had better, I think, in our mind, at some point, we're going to be brought to the places we're going to have to draw a line and say, that's it. I don't care what law you pass. I don't care what you decide to do. It's time to make a stand. And we better be thinking about where that line is. Because we're earnestly seeking a deeper walk with the Lord. If we're hungry for a move of God, then all of our resources, all of our time, all these things should be His first and His alone. And if we're willing to trade away the sacred for the sake of safety, then we are really lying if we say we want revival. I know this is kind of hardcore this morning. But we better be asking ourselves, am I willing to give them up over small discomforts? Because if you will give up sacred things over small discomforts, what are you going to do when it really comes down to life and death? Because if we were to reach the place in this nation where we're threatened with our life, if we don't denounce things that we hold sacred... then what are we doing? We wouldn't be the first ones. In history, there have been many times that Christians have faced such decisions. And I'm not trying to be gloom and doom, but I've, I've been asking myself, Lord, help me if I'm not there. I don't know, because you don't know until that moment arrives. But Lord, if I'm not there, help me do what I need to do to get there. If it comes to that point that I will make a stand. When is the church of Jesus Christ going to wake up? Ephesians 5, 14 through 18 says this. Paul says, Therefore, he says, Awake, you who sleep. Rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, but not as not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand that the, what the will of the Lord is. And do not drink, be drunk with wine, which leads to dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. We're Spirit-filled for a reason. It's not so we can feel good. It's part of it. But not just so that we can have the feel-good heebie-jeebies, or whatever you want to call them. But so that we're empowered to stand, so that we're walking in the Spirit, so that the gifts of the Spirit are in operation. It did good for my heart for the gifts of the Spirit to be used in the service this morning. That's what God intended. And I realize that some people, that's a little strange, it's a little uncomfortable for them, but all you have to do is go read 
1 Corinthians chapter 12, and it'll lay it all out there for you. Some people try to say, well, that was just for the disciples back in that day. No. Paul was writing a letter to the church. This is how you do the services. He said everything should be done decently and in order, but it was expected that there was going to be a move of God in the house. Lastly, this morning, how many know that God is so patient with us? Even with Joash. But the final straw was ignoring the call to repentance. I love that God always sends calls out to his people for repentance and a chance for revival before the judgment comes. But make no mistake, his judgment is real. I know we preach grace and we preach grace and we preach grace. I am so thankful for his grace. It's real. I'm not, I'm not declaring that at all. But all I'm saying is, is he's still a holy God. And at some point, judgment still comes. If we do not repent. And he is so faithful to give us that clear warning. Look at 2 Chronicles 24, 19 through 22. Yet he sent prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord, and they testified against them, but they would not listen. Then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, who stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God, Why do you transgress? the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper because you have forsaken the Lord. He has also forsaken you. So, how many know that's pretty good condemnation? So how do they respond? So they conspired against him. And at the command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court Of the house of the Lord, thus Joash the king did not remember the kindness which Jehoiada, his father, had done to him, but killed his son. And and as he died, he said, the Lord look on it and repay. The NIV says, may the Lord see this and call you to account. Think of this, even after Joash had, had strayed from the path, even after he had walked away from it all, even after all this had happened, God's sins raises up the very son of his mentor to come and to tell him, you need to repent. And he responds by stoning the messenger. Just a reminder, this morning I'm just the messenger. (laughs) I believe it's God's will for us to experience revival. I I believe that God, that it is God's will. I believe that he wants to do that. But we also believe that unless we as individuals 
in a community, humble ourselves and pray and repent and turn and let go of the chains, clean ourselves up, let the Holy Spirit convict us of where we're wrong, take care of those things, begin to cry out to God for a move of God. I believing, I believe that 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 God's blessing. That intimacy with him is incompatible with an unrepentant life. The two don't mix. I believe that the Holy Spirit has been, if we can get some music, I believe the Holy Spirit has been speaking this morning. And I know most of you, I'm not standing here saying that you're a bunch of sinners. Some of my favorite people in the world are sitting right here or watching online. All I'm saying is, at some point, whatever the woodpeckers are in the fuel tank of revival, we better identify them, get them out of the way, and make sure we're ready. Because I believe that God is desiring to move. I believe he wants to pour out his spirit. His, his spirit has been so rich in our services. And we can, we can, it's so easy. It'd be so easy for us to stop and say, oh, this is good. Let's camp right here. But I believe he's got so much more that he wants to do. And I don't want us, I don't want us to be like Joe. I should say, well, we've accomplished this much. Let's stop here. I want us to take it the rest of the way. Let's tear down the high places. And when the opportunity comes to give up the sacred, to make life a little more comfortable, or to push back some perceived danger, that we say, no, I will not give away the sacred. I will not go that far. Oh, bring your threats. Let's use the danger that we see to compel us to get on our face before God more. To deal with the stuff that we know we need to deal with anyway. And humble ourselves. Pray, get on our face before God and cry out, Lord, I want to move of your spirit so desperately. Because I believe. I know there are some that disagree, but they're wrong. We know the direction the world's going to go, and that's not going to stop. But I believe God always has a track record that when evil abounds, he pours out his spirit on his people to give them what they need to stand. And he causes them to stand out. And he causes them to become that light in the darkness. And people begin to see. And some, not everybody, but some will look to that. And some will return that have wandered off. And some that have never known him will come. I believe that revival is coming. I believe that it is on the launch pan. Now, is it going to change the whole world? Probably not. I believe that there's going to 
going to be a divide. There may be some levels of, of, if not persecution, at least, I don't know what word I'm looking for, confinement, containment, you know, oppression. And the time has come that we make up our minds. I believe we're going to see miracles. If you remember just a couple weeks back, we preached on, I preached on He Touched Me, and we talked about God's divine healing. In that service that Lena here that played bass this morning was in the midst of that service. I really didn't know the details, but I, she, she apparently has been, past tense, was severely, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, gluten issues, intolerant. I mean, not just slightly, but severely. How's the bread tasting these days? <laughs> God, she said she could feel something happening during the service in her stomach area. And since then, bread is back on the menu with zero problems. I believe we'll see more of that if we will just get serious about pursuing God. You see, plans are made. I believe revival's on the launch pad. I believe fuel is not the problem. We just got to make sure that our structural integrity is strong enough to contain what he is ready to send. And when it's right, that countdown will reach zero and we will see things happen. How many of you believe me this morning? Let's get serious. Let's don't just play at this thing anymore. I challenge you. I know it's inconvenient. I don't like getting up early either. Although I found the older older I get, the earlier it is, the easier it is for me to get up early. It's like I reach a point, I just wake up. It's like, okay, well, I guess I'll get up. I loved being a teenager. I could sleep to noon, one o'clock, no problem. What if instead of four or five at eight o'clock on a Sunday morning, there was 20? What if during worship, instead of one or two hitting the altars and preparing their hearts and responding, there was multiple people? What if we called for worship nights and prayer nights that God's people were there and we truly begin 
to say, Lord, I want a move of the living God. I know I'm going long this morning, but I'm telling you, this is just so deep in me. We're not waiting on him. He's waiting on us. And when we reach that point, it will come. Amen? Who would stand to your feet and say, I'm ready. I'm ready to move to the next level. I'm ready to press on. I'm ready to follow him. Lord, we thank you for your spirit. It was so, you were so rich here today. And Lord, we know that in our flesh, in our own, we are not worthy. Lord, we're hungry for you. We desire a move of the living God. We ask you, Lord, pour out your spirit. Lord, show us the things that are in the way. Lord, let us set our resolve to follow you and walk in the fullness of who you are and what you've called us to be. Lord, let us tear down the high places in our lives and in our families and in our community and in our church. Let us never give away the sacred just because it seems like it's the expedient thing to do. And then, Lord, when you call us to repent, let us be the first to hit the altars and cry out and say, Lord, forgive me. Because I believe as we do, your spirit will come and you will pour out your presence on your people and we will see the mighty works of the King again. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Why don't you sing us out of here, Steve? There's an army rising up. There's an army rising up. There's an army.